you wouldn't know this by looking at our family or the size of our family, um, specifically a number of our children. But uh, early on in marriage, Andrea and I struggled to have kids. Um, as I said, you wouldn't know that by the number of kids that we have, but, uh, but we did. And um, as I was reflecting upon that, or have been reflecting upon that time for the past couple of weeks and thinking about um, what we're te- teaching tonight, you know, that time when you're in it, I mean, it, it was very difficult. It was a very painful time for us personally. Um, you know, before we had gotten married, we had talked about having children. We had talked about, you know, she comes from a large family of five kids and I'm in the middle of three. And so not like we chose four because that was the medium so we can make each other happy. Just God's up what, that's the way God has designed it. But... Um, but we talked about that and, and just, you know, how to raise our children and being on the same page and all of that. And so time came in marriage. We're like, okay, that's, you know, let's, we need to have children. That's kind of where we're at now. And we feel like this is the next step for us and what God wants. Um, never realizing the difficulty or never anticipating the difficulty that, that we would have in that, in that situation. And so... The, the longer we were in the situation, the longer the struggle, and the more we realized, wait a second, things aren't right here. Um, you know, we both went and to doctor's visits and, and different things like that, and that's somewhat of a difficult journey in and of itself. Um, and so the longer we waited and no children, the deeper the pain. And... You know, every time you would get an invitation, specifically Andrea, I normally didn't get invited to baby showers, um, but every time there was an invitation to a baby shower, tears would come. Every time you'd get news um, that someone's pregnant, um, you know, a friend, or tears would come because it was just that reminder. Every time we would walk into the church building, this was in Springfield, Ohio, when I was on staff at a church there. And people didn't know. We didn't really publicly share our journey, you know, early on. And people were just in their innocence. Oh, when do you plan on having children? You know, and all the little thought bubbles go, if you only knew, you know, and, and all those thoughts go through your mind. And the longer we waited and no children, the deeper the pain. And the deeper the pain, the more struggle it became and the strain it became on our marriage. The strain that it put on us financially after doctor's visits, doctor visit after doctor visit. And the strain that it put on us personally for me to see my wife struggle, to see the tears, to see the pain, um, is difficult. And I remember a moment in that journey, we lived on a Maplewood Drive, and I'll never forget it. And I was mad at God. I was mad. And he and I were going to have a conversation about that. And I remember walking outside the house onto the sidewalk and I remember I would look and I'd see neighbor kids or I'd see kid parents that didn't treat their kids right. And, I'm, and you, I remember just walking on the sidewalk going, God, why are you doing this? It's not like, we, you know, we want to parent right. We want to bring them up to, to follow you. And these parents can't even take care of their own kids. They can't even, they don't even love their children. They abuse their children. Why would you not give us something that we know you want us to have, that we know is a good thing? And I began to, to walk and just, and I don't know if I was shouting, but definitely out loud talking to the Lord about this, going, God, why are you doing this? Why are you putting my wife through this? Why is it such a struggle? Why would you withhold this from us? 
and the questions of why us? Why would you do this to our family? Why would you make us go through this pain? Why is it so, so hard, God? And, and how long is this going to have? Are we going to have to endure this? Will we ever have children, God? And in the time, the pain is so real and so raw. And the, the questions are very honest. And I didn't hold anything back in that walk with the Lord. You know, if we're honest, there are going to be times in our lives when you don't like. There are going to be times in your life when you don't like what God does. There are going to be times in your life when, when what God seems to be doing doesn't make sense to you. You're not going to like it. It's just going to be, that, that's going to happen. Life is hard. And in those times when you don't understand what God is doing, when you don't like what God is doing, the questions get really honest. Questions of why or questions of how long, God. And if you haven't experienced those questions yet in your life journey, you will. They will come. They will be there. And when they come, what do you do? What do you do when the questions of why me start coming? Or why us? Why my family? God, why would you take a man who's in his 40s, who has impacted so many people for the cause of Christ, why would you give him an incurable disease? Why would you do that to them, God? Why would you allow them to experience that? God, why would you take an eight-year-old daughter from a family who loves you? Why would you do that, God? Why my wife? Why my husband? Why our marriage? Why our family, God? Why my life? Those questions are honest and they're real. And when those questions come, what do you do? What do you do when you don't like what God is doing? I want you to turn to the book of Habakkuk. It's tucked away in the back of the Old Testament. It's just three chapters long. You don't hear much about it, but to me, it is one of the most powerful books most powerful books because it speaks to the very essence of who we are in li- as Christians and who we are as just people in life. You see, tonight we begin a new series entitled, God, I Don't Like This. And over the next few months, we're going to be looking into this book of Habakkuk because Habakkuk was a man of God. He was a prophet of God and he was a prophet of God who didn't like what God was doing. He didn't like what God was doing. And Habakkuk is really a conversation between himself, this prophet of God, and God. It's a conversation. And as we listen in on this conversation between Habakkuk and God, we're going to be able to pull out some lessons for us and answer the question, what do we do when we don't like what God is doing? Because Habakkuk gets really honest and he gets really open and genuine with God, and he holds nothing back. And so we want to look into this conversation between Habakkuk and God. Tonight we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1, and just follow along as I read. Habakkuk starts the conversation. We'll begin with verse 1, and then we go into Habakkuk's beginning of his conversation. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. 
Here's Habakkuk. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Enter God. Here's God's reply, God's response. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. Give you a little bit of an overview of this book called Habakkuk. It took place during the time of about 640 to 600 B.C. Many commentators believe that Habakkuk lived during the reign of King Josiah, who brought spiritual reform to the people of Judah. But then King Jehoiakim came in next, and he, like, went the opposite direction. And he brought in spiritual apathy, social corruption, and Habakkuk saw both sides of the spectrum. He saw God's people fully on fire for God, and then he saw them completely turn away from God. And that's kind of the time frame that we find Habakkuk. And so this could be very well a time in the life of God's people where they're on the edge of disaster. And you can kind of, kind of hear that in Habakkuk's words. You can kind of, kind of feel that, that he feels like this is a low time in our history, God. We're on the edge of disaster here. And the word oracle, if you look at verse 1, literally means burden. And I find that interesting. It literally means burden. It's kind of like Pilgrim's Progress, right? And he put on the, the backpack of burden. And, and in a sense, Habakkuk receives this message from God. And what he receives, he doesn't like. And it becomes this burden to him. A burden that he has to carry, he has to walk around with. And so Habakkuk's heart, he receives this from the Lord. God shares with him what he's going to do. And Habakkuk doesn't like it. And it becomes a burden to him. His heart is heavy. Habakkuk knows what it means to have a heavy heart. He knows what it means to not like what you see in life. He knows what it means to feel like God's being unfair to me. He gets that. He understands that. And then God answers him. And he doesn't like God's answer. And we'll look at that in the coming weeks. And so the burden begins to grow on Habakkuk. I mean, he understands burden, and yet Habakkuk's name, the meaning of his name, I think is also very powerful. The meaning of the name Habakkuk means to embrace. The one who embraces, the one who clings. 
And so here you have a man, a man of God, a man whom God has said, listen, you're my man. Here's what's going to happen. And you've got to deliver this message. And Habakkuk receives the message and it's a burden. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like what he hears. And yet his name means to embrace. And as we go through this conversation between Habakkuk and God at the very end of the conversation in chapter 3, we're not going to get there tonight, but in coming weeks, we're going to see the meaning of Habakkuk's name come to light. We're going to see the meaning of embrace at the close of this conversation. And if we were to outline this book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we have Habakkuk speaking. Chapter 1, one verses 5 through 11, God responds, God replies. Chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, then, um, God, or then Habakkuk responds. You have Habakkuk first, then God, then Habakkuk, then God, all of chapter 2. And then Habakkuk, all of chapter 3. That's the way this dialogue comes about and how it's laid out in this book, Habakkuk. So Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Habakkuk's been given this burden and he doesn't like it. Here's the situation that Habakkuk has to wake up to every morning. Here's what he doesn't like. And we can figure it out by just looking at his prayer and his complaint to the Lord. Look at the words he uses. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Verse three, why do you make me look at injustice? So here's a prophet of God, a man of God, and he wakes up in the morning, and every morning he looks at God's people and he sees a violent people. He sees a people who are, who are in unjust, And he says, God, why are you tolerating wrong? There are people who aren't doing what you've told them to do. Destruction, violence, they're before me. There's strife, there's conflict abounding. And he's talking about God's people here. I mean, here's a prophet of God supposed to communicate a message from God to God's people. And Habakkuk wakes up and he says, God, look at your people. They're violent, they're selfish. It could be said that a lot of the wealthy landowners at that time were bribing the courts. So that's why there was all this injustice. And even the priests and, and teachers of the law would only teach if you gave them money. That, that's, that's where it had come down to God's people. And even the leadership of God's people were corrupt. And so Habakkuk sees this, and this is his burden. God, there's violence There's injustice, there's wrong, there's strife, there's conflict. Therefore, as a result of all this, God, your law is paralyzed. No one's one's following your word. No one's listening to you. Your law is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous. And justice is perverted. I mean, Habakkuk can't believe that God isn't doing something about this. He can't believe that God's not doing something. He can't believe that God's not bringing justice. And so then he goes to God about it. He's got this burden. And what we see in verse 2 are Habakkuk's questions. Verses 2 through 4. Habakkuk starts. He's like, God, how long? How long, O Lord, must I call for help? I find it interesting that Habakkuk goes straight to God. He goes straight to God. He goes, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? 
And the word call there involves the idea of being out loud, shouting. I mean, this is not something where Habakkuk is just kind of like, God, I mean, how long? I mean, he's mad. He's upset. He's frustrated. He doesn't like what God is doing. So he goes straight to God. He says, God, how long am I going to have to go through with this? How long am I going to have to experience this? How long am I going to have to have this burden on my back? How long am I going to have to see all this injustice and violence that you put before me? I mean, he reveals, too, by saying how long that this isn't just the first time he's called out to the Lord. That this has been the situation for some time now. And he's saying, God, how long am I going to have to endure this pain? How long, O Lord, must I call for help? And the word call is actually in the perfect tense, which means really Habakkuk could be saying, God, I've done what you wanted me to do. Okay, I've called out to you. I know that's what you want me to do. You want me to call out to you and ask you to do something. I've done my part. Why aren't you doing yours? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever verbalized that? Maybe not out loud, but in your heart, in your mind. Have you ever gone through a situation in life when you felt that way? When you've even responded that way to the Lord? When you've thought, God, I've done everything right. I've done everything. I read my Bible. I go to church. I obey you. I try to love my wife as best I can. I'm doing all this stuff, trying to be a good, good husband, good wife, good, good child, good parent. Why aren't, why aren't you doing something, God? I'm doing all this right stuff, God. Why, why aren't you doing something about it? Why am I having to, to deal with this? So he says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help but contrast. God, I'm doing what I know you want me to do, and you're not listening, he says. But you do not listen. You see, to Habakkuk, it seems like God's not listening. Listening, Why? Because God hasn't done anything yet, or so it seems, at least to Habakkuk. You're saying, God, I'm doing all this stuff. I'm calling out to you. I've been calling out to you, and you're not listening to me. You see, Habakkuk is interpreting God's silence as inactivity. He's interpreting God's silence for inactivity, for indifference, for slumber. God seems silent, and Habakkuk's cries to Habakkuk feels like it's just fallen on deaf ears. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you, violence. Notice again the emphasis on you. He's crying out to the Lord. He's addressing God with these questions. He says, or cry out to you, violence. And the word cry involves the idea of a continued action. So in in the first part of his question in verse 2, he could say, God, I've done this thing that you've called me to do and told me to do, which is call out to you. I've done this. Why aren't you doing your part? And not only have I done my part, God, I continually cry out to you about this. I'm persistent. I am knocking on the door, and you're not doing anything about it. And you've told me to keep asking, to keep knocking, right? You've told us that, and I keep doing that, God, and you're not, you're not doing anything about this. Because he says, God, I'm crying out to you violence, and you don't seem to save. You're not delivering us. You're not bringing justice upon sin. I mean, and Habakkuk would know what, what, what justice looks like, right? I mean, in, in verse 13, he says, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. And Habakkuk goes, God, I'm seeing violence and wrong all around me, and I know you can't tolerate it, so what's up? Why aren't you doing something about this? 
I mean, do you hear, do you, do you hear this guy's cries? I mean, this is honest stuff. This is real. And this is a man of God, a guy, a guy who wants to do what's right, a guy who follows the Lord. And yet he doesn't like what God's doing, which to Habakkuk seems like nothing. I mean, he, to Habakkuk, God's doing nothing about this situation. So he says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or continually cry out to you and you don't bring justice. You don't rescue us from this situation, God. And then he says, why do you make me look at injustice? Again, he goes straight to the Lord. Why do you make me look at injustice? Habakkuk in a sense is saying, God, why are you putting me through this? Why are you making me have to go through this, God? Why do you make me, me look at this injustice? And then why do you tolerate wrong? God, why are you allowing this sin to go unpunished? Why are you allowing this? Why aren't you doing something about this? I mean, if you hate sin, God, why are you allowing it to happen? Have you heard that question before? Maybe ask that question. I mean, what I want us to see, and I think what we need to see in Habakkuk and his questions and in his cries are just the honesty. Just the honesty. And how he addresses God. I mean, this conversation between Habakkuk and God begins with Habakkuk asking God some very honest and very real and very raw questions. And then God responds. Verse 5. What's God's response? I mean, Habakkuk doesn't like what God's doing. What's God's response? Verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. What's God's response? To Habakkuk, look, watch, be amazed. And it's all in the imperative. God is commanding Habakkuk, listen, you need to look, you need to watch, and you need to pay attention and be astonished. Why? Because I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And what's he tell Habakkuk to look at? Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. What's this tell us? The very fact that God responds and replies to Habakkuk, what's it tell you? God was listening. God heard his cries. God responded. See, to Habakkuk in verse 2, you're not listening. God responds and says, just the very fact that he responds says, I'm listening. I know exactly what's going on. I'm listening and I'm hearing you. And I'm telling you, you need to look, you need to watch, and you need to be utterly amazed. You need to look at the nations because these nations that you don't like, that are against us, that's the answer. You you just don't see it yet. It just hasn't been revealed to you yet. There's an answer, Habakkuk. There is. But it just hasn't become known to you yet. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. 
God seems to be saying, Habakkuk, the answer is already in motion. You just don't see it yet. It just hasn't become a reality yet. And my answer to your questions, the healing to your pain involves a people that you would never have thought I could use. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days. He says, God's saying, look, I'm going to use these heathen nations because that's the answer to your question. Justice is coming, Habakkuk. It's coming for the sins against our people, against my people. And see, Habakkuk confused God's silence with indifference. I've been there. When God seems silent and his silence, we just assume means he doesn't care. And that's not it at all. Habakkuk confused God's silence as indifference. And God says, listen, don't mistake my silence for slumber. You know what God's silence is? It's really his sovereignty speaking. God's silence is his sovereignty speaking. Never forget that. God's silence is his sovereignty speaking. Hold on to that. And that's what God seems to be saying to Habakkuk. Look at the nations. The answer's there. There is an answer. I'm hearing you, Habakkuk. I'm listening to you. And I'm going to do something that even if it were told to you, you would never believe it. Just because we don't get an answer to our prayers doesn't mean there isn't one. Just because you and I don't get the answer we think we should get to our prayers doesn't mean there isn't an answer to our prayers. There's an answer. God says, I am going to do something, and what I'm going to do, even if someone told you I was going to do this, you wouldn't believe it. And God seems to be saying, Habakkuk, I don't do things the way you do things. I, I just I work on a whole different level than you do. I, I just I'm God. I, I just I see the big picture. I see the picture on the on the outside of the, the, the box of the puzzle. I see the whole picture and all you see is a piece. I, I know I've got a plan. I'm gonna do something. And it's gonna be so crazy that even if someone told you I was gonna do this, you'd never believe it. You never believe it. God seems to be reminding Habakkuk that he doesn't operate or make decisions the same way you and I do. He doesn't. And it's so easy for us in the middle of pain to bring God down to our level, to try to figure God out based upon how we see things. And that's so easy to do. And Habakkuk understands that. And yet God has to remind him and say, Habakkuk, look at the nations. There's an answer in place. I'm hearing you. I don't do things the way you do. I've got a big plan out there. I know what I'm doing. I see the whole picture. And I know you just see a piece. There is an answer. I'm not being silent. It's my plan. It's my sovereignty. I know what's going on. And God's response is, I'm I'm raising up the Babylonians. And I can only imagine Habakkuk's response because Habakkuk was ticked off at God's people. I mean, he was upset. He was frustrated with them. He was frustrated with God that he wouldn't do something. But if there were a people that Habakkuk would never want God to use, it'd be the Bible Urukai, which are the Babylonians. If you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, okay, read that description that God gives. That's like the Urukai of Lord of the Rings. 
I mean, it just is. It is. As I was reading that, I'm like, good grief. These are some seriously bad people. They're, they're, they're awful. They're horrifying. And God's going to use them to bring justice to his own people. That doesn't make sense. Why would God use a worse sinner? Why would he use them to, to bring justice to people who aren't all that bad now? See, God doesn't work on the same level that we do. God doesn't do things the way we do things. And God says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, that ruthless, impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth. They seize dwelling places, not their own. They're feared. They're dreaded. I mean, do you see the Urukai in this? I mean, this is crazy. They're a law to themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're fiercer than wolves at dusk. I mean, these are some seriously evil people. And God's going to use them to accomplish his plan. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. And I can just imagine Habakkuk's heart going, that's the answer? I can't believe this. And the next talk is Habakkuk's response to this answer. So here Habakkuk's wearing this burden. God, you, uh, why aren't you doing something? God responds and Habakkuk's going, I don't like that. I don't like that response, God. And so then God responds to him again. And that's what's coming. But God's reply, he says, look, watch. Be utterly amazed. I am doing something. There is an answer. Don't confuse my silence for indifference because my silence is my sovereignty speaking, God is saying. And God is saying, Habakkuk, I don't do things the way you do things. Isaiah 40, 28 says, his understanding no one can fathom. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, God himself says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Romans 11, 33 and 34, memorize this verse in the New Living Translation. It's brilliantly beautiful. This is what Paul says, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. For who can know what the Lord is thinking? God himself is saying, listen, there's a plan. There's an answer. And it's probably not going to make much sense to you. But there is an answer. And there is a plan. And there's a purpose in your pain. And I'm going to raise up the Babylonians. And as Proverbs 64, 16, 4 says, the Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Just because you and I can't see purpose in suffering doesn't mean there isn't purpose. And just because we don't see justice for injustice doesn't mean that there isn't any. And doesn't mean that justice isn't coming. There is purpose in pain. And when the purpose becomes known now or later to you, looking back, if you, God reveals to you the purpose, when you look back, it will blow you away. You'll be like, I can't believe that. I, I can't believe that. But there is purpose. And that purpose ultimately is to bring glory to the Lord, to bring him glory. God sees the picture on the box. All we see is a piece. All we see is a peace. So here you have in this dialogue between Habakkuk and God, we have a man, a prophet of God, who is asking some seriously raw, honest questions to God. God responds. What are some lessons for us tonight from this? What do you do when you don't like what God is doing? I think what we see, one of the things we can do, what we can do when we don't like what God is doing is we need to let it out. 
When you don't like what God is doing, you need to let it out to God. Habakkuk goes straight to the Lord. And isn't that the exact opposite we want to do? Man, when someone makes you mad, you don't want to go to them. You want to, you want to stay away from them. You know, when, when I maybe say something that my kids don't like or, or say something that they don't understand, you know, and it's going to affect them in a negative way, what's the response? I'm not talking to dad. You just made me mad. You just made me mad. No, what's Habakkuk do? He goes straight to God. He goes straight to him, and he's honest, and he's real, and he's raw with his questions. And when we go through pain, and when we experience suffering, when you don't like what God is doing, you need to let it out to the Lord. He cried it out to God, and he kept crying out to the Lord. You need to dialogue with God about your pain, about your burden. I mean, there was a time in that struggle with us not being able to have children. I had to get it out. I had to have conversation with God, and I was done just trying to play the role. I need to be honest with God and let it out. And when you don't like what God is doing, you need to let it out. Don't we see this in the Psalms? Doesn't the psalmist let it out straight to the Lord? How long, O Lord? Job 19.7, how long? Oh, Lord, am I going to have to do this? Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, 14.9, he's letting it out to the Lord. How about Jesus, the Garden of Gethsemane? If it be possible, take this cup from me. He is talking to the Father, and he's letting it out. He's getting honest. He's always honest, but he is revealing it to the Father. And on the cross, Jesus himself asked questions of of, of why. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we don't like what God is doing, we need to let it out and we need to cry it out to God. Another lesson for us when we don't like what God is doing is we need to learn God. We need to learn God. Learning something, just it's acquiring knowledge by studying and observing. We need to learn God for who he is. You know, Habakkuk learns a lot about God in this conversation. Unless we think Habakkuk is about Habakkuk, it's not. The book of Habakkuk is really about developing a right view of who God is. That's what Habakkuk is all about. It's about developing a right, a right view of God. And some of the things that we can learn about God from the beginning of this dialogue between Habakkuk and God is this, that God allows you and he allows me to let it out to him. He does. He welcomes it. Listen, God has big shoulders. His shoulders are big enough to handle your complaints and your questions. He can take it. He can take it. So rather than run from him, run to him. Let it out to him. He can handle it. He's got big shoulders. He can take it. And one of the things we need to learn is that we need to learn to let it out to him. And we need to learn that God allows us to let it out to him. We need to learn that God doesn't do the thing, do things the way we do things. We can't expect that every answer we get will make sense to us. He works on a whole different level. He does things that are unthinkable, indescribable, unbelievable. The cross is one of them. He doesn't do things the way we do things. We need to learn that. We also need to learn that God is working a plan even when we don't see it. He's working a plan even when we don't see it. He has things under control. Look, watch, be utterly amazed. He has a plan. He's got it under control. He knows what's going on. And we need to realize that. We need to learn that. And we need to learn that God's God's silence is not indifference. 
His silence is not indifference. It's really his sovereignty speaking. He's listening. He's hearing you. For his eyes are on the righteous, the psalmist said, and his ears are attentive to their cries. What do you do when you don't like what God is doing? You let it out to God. You learn God. And you look to Christ and the cross. You look to Christ and the cross. Do you know we see the gospel in Habakkuk? We see the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in Habakkuk. Look at verse 5, Habakkuk chapter 1. Look at the nations, God says, and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Now, go to Acts chapter 13. Paul is preaching a message. He's preaching a sermon. And in this sermon, he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. He quotes Habakkuk 1.5. Acts chapter 13, Paul is preaching. He's preaching the gospel. He's telling people that forgiveness for sin is only found in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 38 of Acts 13. He says, therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from from by the law of Moses. Paul is preaching and he's saying, listen, it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that the burden of sin, remember the oracle, it's a burden. And some of us maybe walked in here tonight apart from Jesus Christ and your burden is your own sin. And Paul is preaching and he's saying that burden that you carry around with you, the burden of your own sin that you've been trying to get off your back by being good, by going to church, all that stuff. Paul says, no, it's only through Jesus that that burden can be released. It's only when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross that that burden is released. And the burden is placed at the cross. And for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, as the payment for their sins, that burden is released. And then, Habakkuk, or then Paul quotes Habakkuk 1.5, but for those who do not believe Jesus Christ as for the forgiveness of their sins, he says in verse 40, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and, and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. Paul quotes Habakkuk 1.5 to warn them that there is unbelievable judgment coming if you do not trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The gospel, Habakkuk 1. So he warns them, says that burden of sin, unless you release it to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, if you do not, there will be unbelievable judgment in hell. He says, But he says, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, there's no fear of judgment. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're here tonight and Christ is in you, there's no condemnation. The burden is off. The burden of sin is off you. And if that's your story, if Christ is in you, remember, embrace. If Christ is in you, there is nothing that will ever separate you from the embrace of of Jesus Christ. Never. So, when you're going through pain and when you don't like what God is doing, let it out to God. Learn God. Learn Him for who He is. And then look to Christ and the cross and remember 
that if you have looked to Christ on the cross and by faith put your trust in him, you're free from the burden of sin. And although you may never be able to say, or there may be times in your life when you can't say, it is well with my situation, with Christ, you can always say, it is well with my soul. There will be times in life, church, when we cannot say it is well with my situation. And in those times, we must look to Christ and the cross and realize that because of Christ, we are embraced by him and nothing will ever separate us. And because of that, you can say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. What do you do when you don't like what God is doing? You let it out. You learn God. You look to Christ and the cross. And Horatio Spafford, the writer and author of the hymn, It Is Well, he understood that. He understood that. I want to show just, I don't know if you're familiar with the story behind It Is Well, but I want us to just kind of listen to the song and be reminded that here was a man in a family that endured pain, but he let it out through song. He learned God, and he looked to Christ and his cross, and you see that in the lyrics that he writes. Let's, let's watch this together. <laughs> 